welcome everyone to the Final Lap Podcast, the Formula One-based podcast where opinion is Sebastian Vettel and fact and reason are Esteban Tuero and Taki Inui. Oh, and Dean Glass is Alpes, the only driver to be black flagged for driving too slowly. Who the fuck is Taki Inui? <laughs> <laughs> you should have said who the fuck is Alpes because I didn't hear him until I researched his name. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, you've never been in a car with Dean. I have. I can assure you he does drive too slowly. <laughs> Brilliant. I, would, I, was, I thought if you were going to give me any slow driver compliment would be Ugo Katayama, who is the slowest Japanese driver I've ever seen in F1 history. Oh, no, it's definitely Alpes. He's the only driver to have been black flagged for literally driving too slowly. <laughs> Okay, I'll give you that. That's, a, that's kind of like me. However, spelling Al I'm going to have to look up that. Peas, P E A S E. It could be peace, I guess. I bring irony when I play that. Uh, oh. tra- that tra- what's that guy's name? You got a fast car, things like that. Tracy. Peas. <laughs> I'll take it. Everything's peas. <clears throat> I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my regular co host and record holder for the longest boo ever recorded at Sebastian Vettel, Sean Gray. Hey, hey. <laughs> and we're delighted to be joined today by our favourite guest, mostly because he's the only one willing to put up with Sean and I. It's the ever irrepressible Dean Glass. You see, when you said that, I thought it would be kind of the other way around because I'm the only kind of. I yeah, I thought it'd be the other way around. But how's it going, everybody? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I've actually got that down in my notes. Is that is what you're going to say after <laughs> I introduce you? <laughs> you can read my mind, Megs. <laughs> I found this LP's character, and it appears that he's Canadian, and it was the Canadian Grand Prix he got disqualified at. <laughs> Do you think he was just slowed out to wave to his mum in the crowd? <laughs> I'd like to think that that was the case. <laughs> anyway. So we should probably start the uh, 14th episode of the Final Art Podcast by uh, wishing the very great Michael Schumacher uh, get well soon. Um, I'm sure, as everybody is more than aware... Uh, Michael had a nasty skiing accident this week and uh, he's currently laid up in, uh, is it Grenoble Hospital? Um, yeah. Uh, sadly at the moment, in a medically induced coma after two neurosurgeries, but he's stable and um, he's hoping that he uh, is able to fight his way out of this, uh, this injury in the same way that he fought himself to uh, seven world titles. Yeah, it's obviously... Uh... A bit of a bummer, bumming start to the new year. But you know, as I said, I said this to my dad when I was talking to him about it. He's in, he's in the best hands that he could possibly be. He's going to have the best care. So we just need to, you know, keep all the fingers crossed and hope that he, he gets better. He gets all right. So. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it was pretty. It was not something you expect. It's not something you see every day. It's just because it was like the first report is oh, he's in hospital, skiing accident. You think, okay, maybe it's a minor injury. And then the development reports during that day says this is actually much more serious than we first thought. And um, it just goes to show you how serious that accident is and how incredibly hard he hit his head when their doctors are saying his helmet saved his life. This goes to show you. It, it does indeed uh, you know um his wife had apparently said that the that he wasn't even particularly going fast um although he was going off piste um so yeah it's just uh, it seems to be incredibly unlucky um that you know he's he's just happened to have, uh, have fallen and, and smacked his head on the on a a rock um I, I guess we'll get more details as as they were but really um 
we should say get well soon and also happy birthday because it is Michael's birthday today as well. Yeah, of course. So as yeah. I've forgotten that. Yeah. So even even more shit that this happened just before his birthday. But like I say, he's, you got to just leave the doctors to work their magic and hopefully. Do you think people are gonna like say to him when he wakes up? Yeah, yeah. No, I bought you a present for your birthday. You just don't remember it. <laughs> That's it. Until he wakes up, you know, that's that's when I'll start feeling a little bit more positive about the thing because, you know, anything can still happen while he's in the coma. It's, it's when he, when he well, wakes up. That, that could be weeks away yet. So, you know, this story, I'm sure we'll be covering this story on more more podcasts to come because this this one's been a run and run. This could take weeks, months, years for, for Michael's condition to fully be established. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah, get well soon, Michael. Yep, get well yep. soon. Maybe F1 drive of all time. Get well soon, Shuri. So, moving on from from that, let's move directly into the news. The final lap podcast news. So. Uh, as we said, it is the off season, so there's there's not a lot of news flying about. Caterham uh, have still yet to uh, tell us who their two drivers are, and um, <laughs> poor old Max Chilton still hasn't been confirmed as the second driver in his Mauritius, and I'm sure he's sick and tired of trying to answer that question. Um, <laughs> so the best things we've got really is that uh, Luca de Montezemolo, uh, president of Ferrari, ha- is he president of Ferrari? Yes. No, he's president of the racing team, isn't he? Yeah, it's not, not not all of Ferrari, just 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 the racing team. team. I think, yeah. um, always get confused uh, with that one. So yeah, Luca de Montezemolo has uh, conceded that pairing Fernando Alonso and Kimi Räikkönen at Ferrari carries some risk with it, which is probably the understatement of the year. Um, I haven't got the actual full quote of what he said, but um, there seems to have been quite a lot of that from Ferrari in general. Nobody's come out and just gone, no, no, Riken and Alonso, not a problem. It's going to be the best pairing next year without a hitch. Pretty much everybody said, well, there's a bit of a risk about having two of the best drivers in the world in the team at the same time. Because it kind of makes you think, wonder, why have they done it? Um, why say it in the first place when you're supposed to um, kind of promote that these guys are going to do whatever they can to regain the... No idea F1 kind of singles championship or the Constructors' Championship. It's a bit surprising. It is. I wondered if maybe some of it is that what people like to hear is that there is some risk. Um, you know, there's there's fluctuations. We don't know how it's going to turn out. It's going to be an evolving story about how these two drivers get on in the uh, in the Ferrari team. Um, and so they're, they're hyping themselves as a team to watch. Um, or they're just being really honest, which... Which is refreshing, is what I was going <laughs> well, to say. I was going to say, it's not the usual Ferrari way, if we're completely honest. Would you want to say something like that, though, uh, when you're trying to, especially when we're in the era of Vettel and Red Bull? That be some, be would best, that be the most appropriate thing to say? Might not be the best PR move, but like, as I'm not a member of Ferrari's PR team, so I don't care. It's, it's nice, <laughs> nice to see, like, for once. But it's it's different than a, sort, of, sort of your average bod in the team kind of saying it half off the record it's you know it's the president of the team saying you know this decision we've made bit 50 50 
<laughs> like, <laughs> I'd be a bit worried if my boss was saying that in public, to be honest with you. It's not the most, as a kind of a Ferrari uh, fan, because of uh, Michael Schumacher, it's not really encouraging to hear the president of the entire racing kind of side of things for Ferrari saying, you know, it's kind of a gamble, so don't get your hopes up just too much for the next season. So, yeah, cheers, for, uh, cheers, Ferrari. In other news, uh, another driver on the grid is Jensen Button. That's a really weird way of introducing this next this next news segment, but I'm going to run with it anyway. Uh, Jensen Button, who said he will not be retiring from Formula One anytime soon, uh, and he's going to focus on remaining, remain, uh, focus on what he needs to do to still be one of the quickest drivers on the grid next year. Um, next year, Button will be, and this surprised me, the second oldest driver on the grid. Um, but only a few months behind Kimi Raikkonen. Um, but both yeah. are, but both men have been quoted recently as saying that they have absolutely no plans to be leaving the sport anytime soon. So is Probably, the... And justifiably so. Both still... Well, certainly Kimi's still at the top of his game. Jensen, it was tough to tell last year with the car that he was driving. But, uh, yeah, 33 is still fairly young. I He's <laughs> got another two or three years minimum, you would think, in him. Yeah. Um, Especially with Jensen's style as well. It's very smooth. He is, and he is super fit. I mean, he's yeah, got to be one exactly. of <laughs> the fittest guys on there. Just, you know, guy does a triathlon every other weekend. Well, between him and Alonso, Alonso's right into his cycling as well. They two are probably the... I mean, I suppose I don't know the, the ins and outs of every driver's uh, fitness and health regime, but I'd certainly put Jensen and Fernando as... Off the top of my head, the two probably the two fittest out there. So, yeah, uh, no, I'm surprised that this question's come up for Jensen. Actually, it's it's not. Is it just me, or does you know, with Jensen Button in particular, you get the sense of because of last season, you couldn't really tell if it was him or the car. I personally think it's the car because McLaren were entirely shite last season. But um, you, do you get the feeling that he has unfinished business? He has like a something left to prove that he is still one of the best drivers out there, like Meg's kind of pointed out. Because I get that feeling from Jensen Button. I get the feeling still... he would very much like to take the fight to the championship in another car. I think yeah. he'd, he'd really like to show that it isn't just that the Braun car was so amazing and all he really had to do was beat his teammate. Um, I think he'd like to be seen to be taking the fight to uh, Sebastian Vettel, Alonso, Raikkonen, uh, and just put himself in those pure races frame. Um, because as as Dean pointed out, you know he's got a different style to the other guys. He isn't a Hamilton foot to the floor, and he's not really a, an Alonso battling to get everything out of the car. He's a finesse driver. Um, he likes the car just so, and when the car is just so. You know he's he's definitely up there, and there's always been those questions that if the car's not great, can he, he can he wrestle it? Um, I think he did a reasonable job last year, showing that he can, um, you know, he can get the most out of a, a poor car. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with Dean. I, I think he's he's hanging on to the moment that he can come back and show, you know, um, I'm as good as Lewis and and Seb and Alonso and. It makes you also wonder about McLaren for next season, and I wouldn't be surprised. I know it's kind of we don't have, we're not even like it properly into the next season yet. I wouldn't be surprised if McLaren have the same kind of poor outcome that Jensen Button will uh, take his uh, 
his helmet elsewhere. I think there's a possibility. Um, you'd have to question where he'd go, but... Um... Well, I'm not going to bet with you this time because of the, <laughs> the fact that McLaren screwed me out of Roman Grosjean. That's probably just as well, Dean. Um, I, I think he could... I th although I, th I think he likes the Britishness of the McLaren team. I, I think that, that suits him. Um, and I think he'll be looking forward to seeing what McLaren do with the Honda engine, having obviously had his best success in the former Honda team. Absolutely, yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, like, just going back to the entire uh, point of the conversation originally with him retiring, he's, de he's not going anywhere before he's had a good crack at the Honda engine. So that's a minimum two years, probably three years, before we'd even start to think about it. So, yeah, this question's very premature. It's a very silly question to ask. Very silly. I mean, you don't... It's not like he's too old. Oh, it's not like he's an absolutely terrible driver. Just because... Um, it's because he's the second oldest on the grid now. But that's not because Button's old. That's because the child, the children that they're putting in the, the lower down teams... Like, it's more of a reflection on how young the rest of the drivers are rather than how old Kimi and Jensen are. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I I think I'd agree with that. It's yeah, you know, when you're yeah. putting 19, 20 year olds, possibly, you know, thinking about Sergei Sorokin, eighteen year olds in a Formula One car. Mm -hmm. it's, Here's the thing. It's mental. Again, what like the what ifs of kind of Ben uh, Ben Jesus Christ, Dean Button, apologies, does decide <laughs> to like go to another like team if the McLaren do do poor uh, in the twenty fourteen season. Do you think Ross Braun may play, play a part in that? I, I think. Rose? I think Jensen Button will end his career at McLaren. That that would be my feeling, I think. I'm with I Sean think on he'll that. do <clears throat> be 14, then do 15 with a Honda engine, 16 with a Honda engine, and then then evaluate. Because he'll be um, by then. 36, yeah. which is when Weber retired, wasn't he? He was 36 this year, wasn't he? Well, I think he announced at 36. I think he's now 37, just turned 37 before the end of the season. Yeah, so, yeah roughly similar age, yeah. So, yeah, to me, you're still looking at... Button's got another at least three seasons in him, so... Well, well, that's that's all that needs to really be said on the matter, to be honest. Kimi, Kimi's a different one. Kimi's one who could easily pack up and leave tomorrow if he falls out with, <laughs> it, with certain people. I so. think that's the thing, isn't it? Kimi Rotkin is actually more really? likely to retire just on the basis he just wants to go off and do more drinking. Yeah, like he, he could, he could, he could be around for five years and win world titles, or he could fuck off tomorrow and sit in, <laughs> sit in a cabin in Finland with a bottle of whiskey and a fucking. I don't like. It's he's he's a he's an enigma, Kimmy. So his prediction, his future rather, is much more difficult to predict. God, who knows where where he'll be after the season in the Ferrari. Staying on the uh, McLaren theme. Um... Martin Whitmarsh, uh, Martin Mitmarsh, Martin Whitmarsh, um, had some frank words for the uh, the press about the disappointing season that they've had this year, and saying that actually a lot of its roots can be traced back to the 2012 season, um, where the team had a mid-year panic, um, which essentially derailed the car. Um, uh, and stopped it progressing forward in the ways that they needed to 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 maintain any kind of title push. 
um, and that 2013 was pretty much the same in that they turned up at Australia um, fearing the absolute worst uh, and got themselves on a road that became very difficult to um, get off of. Uh, he was quoted as saying, we got ourselves panicked into a horrible position in Melbourne where we were nailing the cars, the cars ride height on a bumpy circuit and going the wrong direction. So they were basing everything off of running everything at Albert Park, which is a very bumpy circuit, um, and then finding that the way that they'd gone to try and sort out the ride height had buggered the rest of the car for the rest of the season. Um, but he does note that they were able to turn around that bad start to the season towards the end of the season and were, were certainly, uh, you know, come the last couple of races up there with the, um, you know, maybe not, not not the Red Bulls, certainly, but, but definitely dicing with the Lotus and Ferraris. Um, I think uh, I think McLaren are going to be more, much more competitive next year. Not, I wouldn't say back in terms of producing a, a worldly car, but certainly I don't expect them to be anywhere near as poor as they were this year. Uh, it just it, often with teams, w- Williams being the exception in the last ten years, but most of the time when one of the top teams has a really bad season they tend to be a lot sharper the next season because they've had a lot more time to develop the car. And it um, yeah, I agree, because after that poor season they had, they have to fix. Here's the thing, though, about like, the comment about the bumpy road. I mean, if the likes of yourselves can highlight that the Melbourne track is bumpy, surely they should have known when they were adjusting the ride height that that track has got a bad reputation for it being bumpy. Surely. I think the, the, the point that... Um that Martin Whitmarsh is kind of saying is, or, or what it highlights in what he's saying is that normally that's the kind of thing that they'd have worked out in testing. Um, and there is no testing now. So you can only go with the data you get. And if you get it on a bumpy track, you have to run with that data. I mean, the, it, it, there's not much else you can do. There's no, you know, there's no tons of free running or, or, or any of those bits and pieces. So you're, if you get bad data at the very first race, it's going to hamper you for a long time until you can work out that, you know, the bad data. It's bad data as opposed to mm. a bad car. Um, there's no instantaneous correlation that they can probably yeah. make until they take it to other tracks and go, oh bollocks! It was probably that mm. you know the data was down to the track rather than the car. It's a fair point, I suppose. But I mean, they have. They've got no other choice. They have to improve this season. I think. Uh, oh, else there will be people that will. Stupid people, mind you, that uh, will compare them to Williams' downfall. So they have no other choice. They have to really have a great F1 season competitively. I don't. I agree with Sean on that. They're not going to be up there title-wise. That's just stupid talk. Or kind of second, third place. I. They'll be back up there. Uh, back up kind of the near the top end where they, they really should be if you think of McLaren's history. I think the interesting thing is that we're. Are we two or three seasons into Martin Whitmarsh's reign as the McLaren Bosch? Is it three? I don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, it's at least three, I think. Yeah. So right. If you think as a, you know, there is no on-the-job training to be a um, Formula One team boss. The closest you can do uh, I is... I could just is... walk in and say, all right, you do this, you do this, and then do it via Wikipedia sources. Uh... <laughs> well, I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there's no... There's no job exactly like it. You can be a deputy team principal and all the other bits and pieces, but until you're the guy with the final say-so, um, I don't think 
you can learn to make the decisions in the way that a Ron Dennis did by you know in an emerging McLaren team. He's actually um, he's actually been in charge of the day to day running of McLaren for five years now. It's been a lot. Uh, been a lot of uh, been a quick five years. I'd be uh, I'd be interesting to know when Ron Dennis really let go of the. Uh, well, the, the reins on that one, um, but you compare it to somebody like um, Christian Horner at Red Bull, who you think, ah, oh, well, he's kind of come from nowhere, but he ran. Uh, was it a GP two team? Yeah, he did. He's he's come right the way through the 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 ladder, so to speak, Christian Horner. Because I I looked it up before when he first sort of started winning things at Red Bull. I was like, where's Where's this guy come from? And yeah, he had like his own team, and uh, what was it? Um, he well, he was a racer, and then he retired, and then yeah, he pretty much went straight, kind of like a footballer, went straight into the the management side yeah. of things, and has has come up through the lower formula of, of teams to to F one. So he's he's kind of got that experience yeah you know uh, see this is the you know when you you think of people like ross braun and all those kind of people who have that much experience you know is martin whitmarsh now going to be able to settle into the job now he's more you know now he's had the time to to know the mistakes that they've made over the last few seasons um and get better how about i kind of ask you guys the question if mclaren have another poor season do you think his job's under threat i would have thought so definitely uh, because if you think about it, three seasons, not particularly great if you're McLaren. And if they have another kind of horrendous season like this, you'd have to think that the guy in charge is not doing things the right way, so to speak. It's very difficult to tell, isn't it? Because you don't know the inner workings of the team and you don't know where that kind of... Um, where all the processes lie, do you know what I mean? It may be, from our, from our point of view, we'll look and then go, Martin Whitmarsh is doing a terrible job at McLaren. Um, did they make as many mistakes as Mercedes did maybe last year in terms of strategy and stuff? Probably not. I don't think they did. I think Mercedes made more poor choices um, last season. Um, and they had Ross Braun in charge. So... <laughs> Do you blame Ross Braun for all the poor strategy decisions, you know, or do you say Mercedes came second in the World Championship, therefore he's done a good job? It, it's. I don't think you can necessarily blame someone like Braun or even Whitmarsh or whoever for individual strategy mistakes. Like sometimes strategy doesn't go your way. That's just the way thing, the way it is. Like it's not always going to fall into place for you. It's like. It's like it would be like sacking a footballer for missing a penalty. Like sometimes these kind of things just happen. Like you have to judge it on the whole season as a whole. And like you say, Mercedes were second in the championship. That has to be looked on as a success. You can't. I, I, it would be unfair to specifically highlight one one mistake. So what my what my response to that is then? Can you congratulate Martin Whitmarsh for dealing with a terrible situation that was not of his making? I think I don't think he's, Whitmarsh performed uh, particularly badly this season. If that's the question, then uh, yeah, I don't think he's done a terrible job. I don't. I don't think he's done a terrible job. I think he gets a bit of bad. I think he gets it tighter than he probably deserves. 
I think it's because he comes across as a nice guy. <laughs> and we're also used to Formula One bosses being secretive assholes. Yeah. Like Ron Dennis like, and Christian Orners and Ross Braun and Jean Todd and all those bits and pieces. Because he just seems like a really nice guy. I think everybody just assumes he must be doing a terrible job. The thing with Whitmarsh as well, and the thing with any team principal, is they're kind of like the figurehead. Like Whitmarsh himself isn't probably the guy that's making tire strategy decisions and stuff like that. They'll have engineers doing things like that. Yet when it goes wrong, it's the f- the figurehead, the principal that, that takes the flak. Uh, True. Whitmarsh, for all we know, uh, uh, he, 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 I don't think he's doing a terrible job. And like the, the dog of a car last year, for example, well, he's, he's not the designer. He didn't design the car. <laughs> uh, he couldn't, I mean, you possibly could argue he could have done a better job keeping, keeping Lewis, but at the end of the day, Lewis wanted to go. They made him an offer, a great offer, but Lewis still chose to go. So the, the, there's only so much the person in the team principal job can do. I think I think it would be harsh to criticise too too severely, like I say, with the Ross Braun thing that, that you mentioned with uh, individuals. I don't think the team principal can be truly accountable for that kind of thing. Maybe if, if you start underperforming over maybe a course of three, four, five years, then you have to say, well, the team principal is probably surrounding himself with poor people, and then that needs to be looked at. Mm-hmm. But one season, I think, is is unfairly because before this year, McLaren were doing fine. They had a good, they had a bad season this year, but the year before, the last couple of seasons, they've been yeah, they've winning been right races. Up there. Yeah, like I think Whitmarsh is from a lot of places, particularly on the internet. It's funny how these things always happen on the internet. It takes, <laughs> a lot of, it takes a lot of flack, probably more than he deserves. Yeah. So another boss has been in the news, um, this time the uh, boss at Caterham, who's said that the points are harder to get for the low-end teams because the cars are easier to drive. Um, Which sounds like a bit of a backward statement, because you'd assume if the cars were easier to drive, it would be better (laughs) for the lower-end people, because they can stick anybody they want in the car and they'll do all right in it. But um, he clarifies his point, and I'll I'll quote him on on this, because it's quite an interesting point of view. Drivers are capable of driving their cars to the limit, but still sometimes they are very close to each other and still managing to handle the car properly or go out and come back. There is no penalty for giving a bit further than the limit. I don't believe necessarily that the drivers have become much better than they were 10 years ago. It's just the combination of the track layout, the cars and the dynamic systems. And I think that's a really interesting point. We've mentioned it before in terms of things like reliability and the fact that the cars just don't blow up and stop on the track anymore. Um, But it's true in a lot of ways that um, the cars do all seem to be driven right on the the limit of whatever the limit's going to be, whether it's tyres, engine, track, and all the bits and pieces. We've mentioned before that all the tilt tracks give you, you know... um, runway sized runoff areas so that if you head into a corner slightly too fast the worst that you do is maybe lose you know half a second a second as you fly on and then join the track again um uh and yeah the 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 cars generally do seem to be more stable more safe um again that kind of harks back to um oh we quoted uh what was it I can't remember the driver who came out and said, but um, oh, it was Anthony Davidson 
said the cars are too safe to promote, um, you know, the kind of driving that we're used to seeing, where, <laughs> you know, there's a bit of yeah. iffy, but people go steaming into corners with other drivers now because it doesn't matter. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting point of view from somebody at the back end of the, the, of the team to say, you know, we'd normally be picking up points here and there because driving is so much harder and at the back of the grid you don't tend to get mixed up in all of that kind of craziness um but there isn't a lot of craziness in formula one these days yeah i think it's an excellent point you look at um mark weber and his debut in australia and things like that you have or the wet races where you'd have like johnny herbert winning in nurburgring and things like that you don't see that as often anymore at all and like you say it got, the, the point's correct it's more difficult for for a guy driving a Marussia to sneak in with a 10th place and get a point because the first nine positions in the top 10 are going to be the first four and five teams. And it's something we've mentioned many times, but I, I I'm dreadfully miss the days when, you know, you'd be going along and expect the leader to get an engine blow or something. You'd, you'd, you'd feel that that was always around the corner. You'd be on the edge of your seat that, oh, this isn't over till it's over because, you know, Hydraulics could go at any time. It's Formula One. Now you just Vettel goes into the lead after ten laps, and you go, yeah, well, that's probably that. That ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that'll that'll get to the end of the race, no problems, no questions asked. I mean, so, yeah. Sorry. It's like, I just think I just think it's a really good point. Yeah. There was um, I don't know if either of you saw it um, on the internet um, at the end of the season. Renault traditionally rev the fuck out of the engine until it melts. Um, and they couldn't this year. They they revved it and revved it until it got practically white hot. Did the and thing just, die? No. Nah. <laughs> that's it. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, and it, that's the and that's why Sebastian Vettel is so happy to, you know, disappear thirty seconds down the track. It's because he knows his car's not going to explode. He can't bust the engine. He can't work the car too hard. It's just all set at him to drive it as fast as is possible for him to drive, which fair yeah. enough, you know, good on Rebel for, you know, finding all the limits and making them work to their advantage as best as possible. But it doesn't make for um, for that kind of exciting racing that we're used to. No, I completely, completely agree. Uh, maybe instead of Bernie's sprinkler system, we need snipers on every corner or something <laughs> <laughs> putting a putting a bullet in the in one of the cylinders of the Renault engine we just need more pasta Maldonado on the track and then he could run into people more no I wouldn't go that far <laughs> <laughs> well we're going to get it next season he's going to be even further up because no matter what he does in a Lotus it can't possibly be as bad as last year's Williams so uh, we're going to be seeing an awful lot more of Maldonado so maybe, maybe we'll get Maybe we'll get one of those good qualifying sessions from Lotus where they somehow sneak it into second on the grid and then Maldonado can fly into Vettel as he's on pole <laughs> in the first corner. That would be brilliant. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. So, any any more news? I just noticed there, just, uh, just before we move on to our topic for discussion, that Massa has said this week that he uh, believes he was as fast as Fernando Alonso in the last couple of years, just that, obviously... He was the number two driver, and it didn't work out for him. I just thought it was interesting, you know. Now that he's, he would never have said that at, uh, 
when he was there, but as soon as he's left now, he's he's suddenly piping up with... Uh, well, it's hard to argue as well, really, isn't it? That um, Certainly um, in the last six weeks of the season. Last <laughs> year, as, as soon as he he said he wasn't going to be driving Ferrari and everybody was just, and he was just like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Um, <laughs> what can they do? Not pay me for the rest of the season? Well, I think <laughs> the last seven seasons at Ferrari have paid me quite handsomely enough. Um, he was um, He was decidedly quicker than Alonso it would seem in in most stages of the races yeah I can't wait to see what he does at Williams I just think that I'm not entirely sure he's going to have the car I don't know what kind of car Williams are going to turn up with it could be great it could be a dog with god knows what what they're going to be doing so but I'm going around the bed that the Williams car is going to be the equivalent of my Peugeot 107 parked up I think it'll be quicker than that, but probably only just. (laughs) (laughs) We'll wait and see. It might be good. You never know. They won a race only two years ago, so you never know. (laughs) Stranger things have happened. So I think that rather wraps up the news for us. So we're going to head on with the the new style of podcast that we're doing in the off-season, which is to take a topic and discuss it in depth uh, and see what we can come up with. Uh, This week's topic is the tricky topic of finances in Formula One. Um, as we heard amongst some of the good and silly rules that the FIA have introduced this year, from 2015 they want to introduce uh, budget caps for the teams um, to try and curb spending, which has been uh, a big problem in Formula One for quite a long time now. Uh, how expensive it is to turn up and go racing. Um and the knock-on effects of that in the field. Um, so we thought what we'd do is try and take a look at, is there a problem? And if there is, what would we try and do about it? Or, or is there even a solution? What what can we do if there is no real solution to try and make things better? Um, I think... I think st- sorry, sorry go on. Go on, you go, Andrew. Go I was go. just going to say, we'll, we'll start off with a little quote from Luca de Montezemolo. Um because I think it explains some of the thought processes between or behind the the top teams and and how they view things like budget caps. Um, For the first time, it's been said that we have to define a cost cap. You know why I have doubts about the cap, because it's very easy to cheat, particularly for the manufacturer teams, and Ferrari could be one. I could go to to Chrysler in Detroit and ask them to do something for us. Mercedes could go and ask their company. We have to find something that is credible, but the the cost is the problem number one. Um, De Montezemolo is sceptical that engineers should get involved in defining areas of cost control, as he suggests a more unilateral approach from the FIA may be the best way forward. The cost cannot be decided by the technicians, because if so, we will never achieve it. The only way to approach this is to say to the FIA that all the teams are unanimous in agreement to cut the costs. Do whatever you want, come back to us with a proposal that for sure can decrease the costs in a heavy, heavy way, then we adjust ourselves. We have to achieve a goal to decrease in heavy weight the costs. Um, I'd like to point out that that is Luca de Montezemolo's translated speech and not me just not being able to read properly. Um, (laughs) So there's there's a good point about cost caps in general. How do you enforce the enforce a cost cap <laughs> next question please but it's, uh, this it's, reminds... it's, it's completely impractical to enforce one this is the problem and Luca's right 
I mean, does does it include Fiat because they own Ferrari? So like, what happens then? Like Fiat could easily uh, do do a bit of development or whatever and give things to Ferrari, like like De Montezemolo says in his his speech there. It's just there's so many loopholes that could that could be uh, exploited that it's just completely impractical to enforce. And then you've got the actual how how are the, how is the FIA marking it? Are they are they going to take in the books of every team and audit them at the end of every season? And if you fail <laughs> the budget thing, are you, are you going to get docked points or what? Like there's so much. That you'd have to it kind of reminds me of the football fair play system where it's, exa- if you well, it's exactly like that to be very much like that whereas if you, you lose that much money you're not going to get these fucking privileges i and mean it's... this reminds me year this was years ago when i was watching about you know you have the hype before the actual race and it was eddie jordan and he was going over how much it cost well this was back then this could have changed by far changed by far how much it cost for one season and it absolutely blew my mind. I think it was something like over 25 to 30 million pounds a season they have to spend to even just compete in the F1. And that's not including, like, you know, budgets for developments with engines and, and stuff like that. It's Eddie just Jordan, absolutely insane. Eddie Jordan used to spend more than he can afford, though, as well. You have to remember that. Eddie and Jordan, that's why Eddie Jordan Eddie, doesn't have a car. Well, he, <laughs> he used to spend more than he could afford on the assumption that his car would compete and earn prize money throughout the season and recoup the cost at the end of the season in prize money. And obviously, in the end, that that bit him in the ass when he started producing dogs of cars and he didn't make as much prize money and he got into financial difficulty. So because I, I actually love, like the old George car. I, I love like Jordan it. as a pundit, but... With the B at the end of the tail and everything. I, uh... But, yeah, I... It's, it's it's a difficult one because yes there is a problem like I think that much is clear I mean you had Lotus this year struggling to pay Kimi Raikkonen the amount of pay drivers in Formula One is it's evident in itself there is definitely a financial issue but how to fix it I don't fucking know um, the only way that could work and the way I see it I'm trying to see this from a business side of things and you know is that you have to tell these teams all right. We want to cut costs. That means you're you're going to have to declare virtually every single thing you do. You're going to have to declare where you did it, and you're going to have to get proof of where you did it. And then it's kind of like, yeah, it is auditing in a sense, but if you're going to make cuts, and if you're going to try and maintain the F1, in terms of like F1 in general, is affordable so that you can invite other teams to come and maybe give it a shot, then, like you say, if you don't do it that way, there's going to be so many loopholes and so many kind of arguments where this team was able to do that because of the Fiat development or such and such, etc., etc. I mean, this year, I think, we'll probably hear more about it this year because they really have to kind of publicly as well say this is the way we're going to do it and this is the way we're going to make sure that none of the teams kind of try and be a bit cheeky. I can't see them doing it any other way. Thing, thing is, as well, I mean, you could almost cap certain aspects and that might be slightly easier to enforce. Like, you could you could cap salaries and teams would just have to declare how much they're paying their drivers and their engineers and that would be slightly easier to 
ten fours. There's the thing is, be, all that would be is we're paying Fernando Alonso. You you can only pay Fernando Alonso ten million pounds or whatever, and then you know how much they're paying their drivers, and you could you could try and cut costs that way. But then it's, it's things like R and D and re, the research and development, and that's so much more difficult to actually pinpoint how much is being spent. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, with um, like you say, with drivers, it's easy to say, all right, this is the maximum you can get. And then you can either probably do it where it's like you can work a contract where the driver gets a certain percentage of the sponsorship money he brings in from signing. I don't know. But like you say, how do you go about looking into like the research and development side of F1 to make sure everything is done the way they wanted to do it. It's, like, it's such an it's such an ongoing process as well that it would it wouldn't surprise me if the FIA say all right this is what's going to happen but when you do it one of our guys have to be there present. The, the interesting thing as well is these new engines and regulations this year are costing teams a fortune more than they've been spending in previous seasons. So it's Kind of double standards to suggest, oh, we want to cut costs, but you have to follow these new rules that are going to increase costs. So, just a little, a little bit of hypocrisy there from like a catch twenty-two. It's like we want you to cut money, money, but you have to spend more money this year. I mean, it's certainly true that every time you introduce a rule change or ban a piece of um, aero development or shut off an avenue that a team has been exploring, you increase their research and development costs because all the work that they put into that piece of technology is now completely null and void like the double diffusers like the coanda exhaust which have essentially been banned from next year um double drs and all those bits and pieces um mm -hmm. so we're, we're assuming that r d is the holy grail of spending and it's the how much money can a team pour into that to be competitive can we work out what the most important parts of research and development are because we already limit um, wind tunnel testing and that seems to me to be something that would be very hard to police um, I don't understand how you can tell how long a car has been in a wind tunnel or not um, unless you do a recording of some sort but then how do you, you know, does yeah. that is there already an FIA observer then at all wind tunnel tests yeah, just living in a no 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 i'm just i'm just saying it's just like you know if they've yeah. already got an fia guy hanging around the wind tunnels then is it possible to have them hang around other aspects of the thing to try and check that teams are working within the budgets that they say they are is that a feasible solution or are we are we really saying that what what we need to do is try and centralize aspects of running a formula one team so that they can be monitored more easily yeah you should just have one bank account and then at the end of every month they just hand over a bank statement to the to the fia it's, oh, what's this mysterious cash injection of 15 million pounds from mr l de montezemolo ferrari <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that simple like. well i'm just thinking you know it could it, it, it systems are um, you know, by their nature, something that can be monitored. Um, is it possible to have some kind of central cloud collection of all of that data that the FIA can monitor easily to try and see? And you can look, you could look and see if suddenly somebody's come up with a load of data that doesn't really collate to what you know what they're paying in terms of hours, well, 
spent Would on... the F1 teams even allow a cloud system? With well, I don't know. Of, uh, like, with fear of, oh, wait, that team could actually maybe access it via well, I'm, hack. I'm, I'm presuming that when we're talking about a cloud system, each team would have its own cloud, and it really is not. They don't have a Z drive on their <laughs> on their things with a folder that's called Ferrari and a folder that's called Force India, and <laughs> you've just got to try and guess the password. What's the password yeah. for the Ferrari one? Uh, horse. Prancing. Probably Ferrari or something like that. Shoot me. That would be funny. <laughs> Um, I hate Vettel. What, what about this for an idea then? You could. Alan Prost came up, came out recently and said that he, he, what he would do would be to reduce the importance of aero in Formula One because that's the biggest spend. That's where all the money goes, trying to make aero as as good as it can be, essentially. So he just said, "Well, why don't we get rid of aero? Why don't we completely limit the use of that by bringing back?" Or regulating designs in a way that completely takes the need for aero out of the equation. So you would say standardise the chassis, for instance, the shape Standard, of the yeah, yeah. And in a way, they've done that this year, haven't they? Because they've given everybody the Red Bull side pods um, because they're safer, apparently. But realistically, if you're limiting the way that the side pods work, why couldn't you say? And this is the rest, the shape of the rest of the car. Yeah. You can't sculpt it to push air, you know, under and around in the way that the, you know, the rebels well, are doing. That's what kind of process pointing out. The two points that he made was he would widen the tires and he would make the floor completely flat, and that would have a significant effect on effect on aero. And it would, because it was all standardised, it would reduce the need for teams to consistently plough money into that into that department to try and figure out the best way of doing it. So, I mean, you it's not it wouldn't be an actual budget cap itself. It would just be a regulation that a nice uh, side effect of that regulation would be it would be cheaper, which is maybe a better way of looking into doing it rather than actually giving them a here is what you can spend quota. Just make it cheaper for them to design cars by... I'm not saying that's necessarily the best uh, best plan, but certainly an idea. Could you um, could you say there are no financial penalties for exceeding the budget cap, um, but there are benefits for keeping underneath it? Such as what kind of benefits would you suggest? Extra testing. Um, that I extra like that. tires. I like that idea. I like the extra testing for. Keeping on the budget cap. Let's say, okay, he's got 50, 50 million, whatever. Obviously, Kater and Marussia, they can't afford to be spending much more than that, so they'll keep under it. And Red Bull can then decide, oh, okay, well, what's more important to us? A week's testing or spending an extra 100 million? And then, you know, that kind of works out. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I like, quite like that idea. It's a way, isn't it? Um but then yep. testing in itself is expensive. So if you keep up, say, cater and spend the bud, spend right on the budget cap, and then the reward with a week's testing, who then pays for that testing? Well, <laughs> they're flying to you know all of these places and, and moving the cars out. So why don't they get extra time on a well, Friday? That, that or makes sense. and that this is kind of another point that I've I've got uh, noted down somewhere is that I've mentioned this before on shows, but you know how like in the NFL where the lowest team gets the best draft pick. You could have the lowest team in the previous championship get the most testing and 
gradually scale it up towards the world champions who get the least amount of testing. And that would sort of look to give a more even playing field as such. And then sort of go, oh, in the brackets, but, you know, testing's expensive, blah, blah, blah. But like you say, it's a good point. Well, I can, I can hear myself. Yeah, Please. Dean, have you knocked your headphones out, mate? I had to sex. Try now. Testing, Apple. testing. That seems to have fixed it. Yep. We're good. Stupid ass yeah. Apple fucking headphones. <laughs> Other <laughs> headphone brands are available. <laughs> it's full of rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my point was, I had to... My one... Sorry, this is about my headphones quick. These, my old ones were perfect with the fucking kitten chewed them up. <laughs> the perils of owning a cat. Carry on, John. <laughs> don't, don't get a cat, kids. <laughs> right, so, um, yeah, so I was saying, you do the NFL-style draft, you get uh, 10 days of testing for the 10th place team or whatever, 9 days and up to 1 day for the World Championship. And then, obviously, the issue is then, well, how do you fund the testing for the lower-down teams if they've not got a lot of money? But like you say, Andrew, you could so easily just say to them on a uh, Friday morning, right, Everybody else go home, cater them or get in two hours of testing or whatever. Like, I mean, the cars are already at the track, so you might as well. Use I think if you said, you know, the the car has to be driven by not one of your actual drivers, yeah, um, and you can only pick one um, tire, uh, you know, type, so that they don't get a massive advantage for the race. So it's not like they, you know. Could you even could you even do it after the race? Possibly, yeah. That's a very that's a very good. Because that, know, that that would then completely eliminate the idea of setting the car up for the race benefits, you know. Well, and yeah. actually, in a way, what you'd what you'd get is the, the car set up optimally for the race, so you're not wasting any time setting up the car for yeah. testing. It's yeah, already and set, up and, set up and test. Yeah. Um, I guess the only problem you've got against about that is um, all the support races and all the other bits and pieces would have to be fitted around that, and obviously. On some of the races, they go right into the night or, yeah. or what have you. So you obviously, do it at tracks where it's suitable. You wouldn't need to do it every track. You could just do it at you know where it's where it's logistically easiest. It's, I'm not saying like it wouldn't need to it wouldn't need to be every event. It would just be maybe half of the events per year and do it in the ones that's that, that works out easier with the best facilities and stuff in place to do that kind of thing. Certainly, something an option anyway but I, I definitely like the idea of giving lowest place teams some sort of bonus doesn't even need to be testing just some sort of bonus and gradually scaling it back up the way towards championship it always works good in the draft in the nfl if you get a really bad season in the nfl you could get a number one draft pick get a cracking quarterback and you're right back in the hunt next year and a similar system in, in f1 like i think would be certainly help boost Marussia and Caterham to the point where they're scoring points anyway rather than just being cannon fodder at the back of the grid. I think another thing that the FAA could be looking at as a very simple way of uh, saving money is the Formula One calendar. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree, but then that's based on, you know, you get Abu Dhabi giving Bernie extra pocket money to host certain the Grand Prix at certain times of the year and stuff like that, so... That's obviously got a. There's ulterior motives into the setting of the calendar, but it definitely could be. Well, I mean, let's um, definitely th- look at the first four races of the season next year. We've got Australia. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, we're we're in Malaysia, which makes sense. 
you know what I mean? You're on that side of the world, really. Then, yeah. literally, a week later, after Malaysia, we're in Bahrain in the Middle East, at which point, two weeks later, then we go back to China. Yeah. Um, and then again, in the middle of um, the next races, we've got Spain. Um, two weeks after that, we've got Monaco. But then a week... Oh, no, sorry, it's two weeks after Monaco, we've got Canada. <laughs> and, and then we go to Austria. So we go from... <laughs> do you know what I mean? We go from the s- south of France to the wilds of Canada and then back to Austria in the middle of Europe. Um, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're right. And, <laughs> and we're all told how expensive it is to fly out all the cars, backup parts, all the people, all the things that you need to run a Formula One racing team on race day. Um, and yet we've got 22... 22 races next year? Yeah, well, that's another point that I've got written down is less races, because <laughs> that would certainly reduce costs. Uh, it's not what I want to see personally as a fan. I want to see as many Formula One races as I possibly can, but it's certainly a monumental cost for them. Common sense is just do it certain times of the year, calendar, right? These races will do it all Europe in this place yeah. and then Asia. It's common sense, really, yeah. but they just, they just don't yeah. see it. You're right, it's common sense to do sort of legs. You know, you do five races in Asia, then you do six races in Europe, and then you go over and do three races in America or whatever. Like, that makes sense. But it doesn't work like that, and it's never worked like that. Because Bernie, as I said earlier, can charge teams incentives to host the first Grand Prix of the year or the last Grand Prix of the year or whatever. He charges these countries a premium for certain slots. And I don't even want to sound like one of these uh, happy anti-Bernie guys, but it's all money in his pocket and he's not caring like about things like that, unfortunately. No. Um, and again, is that, you know, is that another problem that, you know, Bernie isn't, isn't interested in helping the teams in any way? You know, he's, he is only out for what he can make out of the sport, really. Pretty um, much. Sadly. I mean, I said we said it in a previous one. Um, if he wants to bring on new Grand Prix, that's not a problem. Why don't we just alternate venues each year? Do you know what I mean? If we've got Austria and Germany, why can't we do Austria one year and Germany the next, or Austria or, even, or Hungary and make it make a little yeah. alliance and uh, or even do like invade a Poland thing. and then go on from invade there. <laughs> Uh, that was a perfect example of Warden's right there, Mags, and beating the Porsche. Um, couldn't you just do it like a way where it's like, okay, one or like X amount of races a year, we're going to leave wide open and we're going to see if countries want to host it. Kind of similar to the World Cup in a sense, but then they kind of alternate every so, every kind of season. I don't know if that's just what I just said, Dean. I don't know if that's what you just said as well. I just heard it was beating the Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you not here first, first. Said, but, um, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it is about just invading the Polish I just I don't know that just stuck in my <laughs> head while I what Meg said the entire thing I'm not even like I would, happy uh, with that it's in my head we'd like the police to uh, head up to Scotland right now there appears to be uh, somebody with a a slight complex 
going on? All, the only thing that is just stuck in my head was you saying invade the Polish, and then I get accused of being a Nazi, even though I'm not the one that said it. <laughs> Who mentioned Nazis? <laughs> what? Where has this conversation gone? <laughs> when, when your ratings go skyrocket for some random Sc- uh, Scottish nutter, then you, you'll get like a card saying you're welcome. Oh dear, Dean Glass's next introduction to the podcast. And welcome, our favourite neo-Nazi from the <laughs> wilds of uh, Scotland. <laughs> dear, yeah, oh dear. Def- that could be happening soon. I definitely think there's something to be said for the calendar. There's no doubt about that. Uh, particularly Canada. Canada's a great one, Megs. You're right, it's Monaco, Canada, and then Britain. Like, it just <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense when you could just shove Canada a few weeks up the line next to, next to the United States. But... No, yeah. no. Uh, the other thing I thought was, and I'd never really thought about it before, was the idea of doing, you know, rounds in different parts of the um, the world. Wouldn't it? That'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? If you, you know, you said, here is the Asian leg of the F1. Whoever wins the most races of the Asian leg wins the, you know, Asian yeah. F1 Cup. All the you points go to the prize. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Sounds fun. Continental kind of trophies for yeah. like drivers. That's actually pretty cool. You could even so it would add an extra dynamic, say, going into the the Bahrain Grand Prix as the the final Middle Eastern Grand Prix of that year or whatever. And oh, if Lewis wins, he takes the he takes the Middle Eastern trophy. But if he finishes third, then uh, Vettel wins or whatever. It just add an extra little dynamic to race day. I mean, everybody's you know everybody's going to try enough for the for the points, but it could be that you know if. If Vettel only needs seventh place in the last race, um, but you know he has to win the race to win the you know you know the Middle Eastern leg over Alonso or, or Hamilton. I bet you would he try harder. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I bet. He, oh no! Although I suppose Vettel probably doesn't ever not try <laughs> really <laughs> fucking hard. The bastard. Can you give a a wee a wee boost sort of prize fund an extra million million dollars or whatever? To each to each leg. I mean, say you did a an Asia, a Far East, a Middle East, a Europe, and a America. That's four four legs over the course of the season. You could even what give a million for each one. That's only four million. That's in reality. For the thing is, you could probably get some sort of guy to sponsor it as well. I mean, you could probably get Emirates for the Middle East. That's yeah, a yeah, yeah. You definitely could. You'd get the Fly Emirates uh, Middle East F1 trophy or some shit like that. That would and, and then. It would Some pay sort of Asian itself. brew for the Far East. Yeah, it would, it would, it would pay for itself if you were going to do a bit of prize money for the drivers, the sponsorship, the amount of money that the the Qatarians and the Abu Dhabis and that plow into these kind of things. They they love all of that stuff. They look how many football teams has got Emirates written on their uh, strip and everything. They love all of that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that's I think that's not a bad idea. Yeah. All right. Doesn't have anything to do with cost, but it's a fucking good idea. No, no, it does kind of have a. Here's the thing. I suppose it it does if it if it puts them all in the the same area of the calendar. So it trims costs in that sense, and also could bring in extra sponsorship revenue to the sport. So. True. So if we find out that this is going to be announced properly by Bernie and the F1 team in the next couple of weeks, then we know that our the podcast is being bugged. (laughs) <laughs> and that should be very easy with the 10 people who listen to the podcast I should be able to find out which one of them is Bernie fucking Eccleston easily enough <laughs> I don't know I mean I, it's happened before with Dusty Finish <laughs> there's a reference for you folks <laughs> just going on to uh, sponsorship talking about 
maybe getting a sponsored Asia Cup or whatever, just the, the lack of uh, cigarette money in Formula One these days has to be uh, taken into account when talking about the finances. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the last 10 years it's been increased strain on the finances of F1 now that we don't have Marlborough at every signpost or West on every McLaren. Galois holding off the French ones, yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, every I'm not surprised. Team, every team was sponsored by a fag company, every single one, pretty much. So and it was it fun. was the last great bastion of cigarette advertising, really, wasn't it? It was the last sport that resisted the change to to ban it completely. And even you know, even when it was being banned in countries, <laughs> and they had to turn up with completely different liveries on the. Do you remember when the Ferraris used to turn yeah. up with fuck all on them? <laughs> the, white, the white flag, whatever it was called, the white square. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I had my way, I'd, I'm not a fan of that kind of regulation in countries where, oh, we're banning junk food adverts at nine in the morning or we're banning sponsorship of fags and stuff like that. I don't, I don't like that. The thing is, as well, as we have to take on board, um, as much as we kind of ourselves don't take this on board, we have to take on faith in the religious beliefs as well. I'm not, I'm not really sure how that's relevant. Well, I think Sauber are being sponsored by... Um, bacon sandwiches next year, which is not going to go down well in Bahrain. And uh... mm, okay, I, I'm, I think... <laughs> I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm Williams sponsored by Escort and Razzle. Uh... I'm inclined to say so fuck, but um, that's, that's me for you. Like, uh... and the Mar- the Mauritius are going to be uh, powered solely on burning Korans. I think that's the people. People shouldn't be so. Um, people shouldn't be uh, so. So easily offended, and it's the same with the um, the sponsors. Other religious texts are available as fuel. I just add that now. <laughs> it's, it shouldn't be with the, with the F1 sponsorship. Just um, on cigarettes, you know, people want to smoke. They're going to smoke. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think McLaren having West written on the side of their 1999 Mika and winning Formula One car. Ah, made any made any made any little ten year olds go out and buy a packet of twenty West out of their local corner shop. Well, that was the funniest thing, wasn't it? Because that's why the livery changed, wasn't it? That's why they went from the orange and and white yeah, because West. they were Marlboro because they went to West and that was the livery that they're in. So the only reason it's a a black and silver McLaren at all these days is because of of you know sponsorship of cigarette you companies. Had, you had when the, when they went to the countries when it first started getting banned, you just had David written on the side of the car. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm of the just general opinion that we shouldn't be banning that kind of advert in general and therefore it should be allowed in F1 by extension of that. But unfortunately, it's 2013 and we aren't going to get that any... You mean 2014? Ah, 2014, you're right. It's 2014 now. My bad, sorry. Happy New Year, everybody. So, uh, yeah, you just, you're probably going to be in a world now forever, certainly in our lifetime, where you aren't going to get that kind of thing. I can't see us taking a backward step on that kind of thing. But like, uh, wanting uh, to make the show too political, it's just not going to happen, so. Are we saying, though, that, okay, so, you know, that's an, that's one revenue stream limited to the teams, per se, but surely there's there's billions of other companies that they could be, offering sponsorship to why is it so hard to get sponsorship in formula one what's you know do you know what's an interesting one and you see in a lot of sports these days and this will be the next one to get banned actually and it's 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 so tough for sports because as soon as one thing gets banned 
they, they find a new thing, and then that also seems to get banned because all the things that want, all, for some reason, all the companies that choose to advertise in sports are things that are generally not that have moral objections in some some quarters. But the, the big one now is obviously gambling. Uh, the amount of tournaments that you see sponsored by 888.com and Ladbrokes and William Hill, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's absolutely everywhere. And that'll be the next one to get banned. And as soon as that gets banned, more sports are going to struggle and then we'll find something else and then that'll probably get banned. But it's just kind of surprising that you get so much of uh, gambling in in darts and snooker and football, but you don't really see it in Formula One. So Do you think that's just the money issue of how much sponsorship they need to actually get their name on the car? The gambling well, industry is one of the most lucrative industries in the world, so I, I don't really think it's... Plus, every deal is negotiable, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If, well, if if you are the person that comes in with the best offer, then you'll get on the car, won't you? Know, if, if, mm. if Vodafone, who have just dropped their sponsorship with McLaren, you know, were paying them... 50 million a year to to get it on there and um t-mobile <laughs> because that was the first mobile operator that popped into my head rather randomly was offering <laughs> f- 45 million you know without voter from there they'd have chosen t-mobile or you know yeah. three or it's just, it's orange just, or whatever it's you know it's i just find it interesting that you know ladbrook sponsored the the world arts championship last week and uh, the snooker these days is sponsored by 88.com. All these companies are clearly h- high on their priority is getting themselves in sport and sponsorship because it gets their brand out there, like not like to the perfect client. Basically, the guys that are betting, the people that are watching the darts are probably betting in Ladbrokes. I know that's a stereotype, but you know, it's a, it's it's a stereotype for a reason. You know, the people going to watch the darts will probably like a gamble. So what what why is F1 different? Maybe um, I don't really know. Or maybe the teams aren't looking at that. Maybe they should be. <laughs> maybe it's maybe, the maybe they think of that kind of sponsorship and then they associate it with darts and snooker and they think of it as beneath them. I'd be surprised if any F1 team would turn down, you know, unless you're talking about a Mercedes or Ferrari who can probably be slightly more selective. Yeah. But, but if, you know, right. if Peter Sauber or Frank Williams... Um, they would not turn if, if Ladbrokes came to them and said we want to put Ladbrokes on the side of your car and you know we'll come up with some sort of deal where we'll run a, a promotion every weekend of Formula 1 where we get boosted prices on Williams to finish in points and stuff like that <laughs> they've done alright last season we can, <laughs> we can do all of this stuff there's loads of different things we can do and we'll get special adverts out there on, on the TV and stuff that's it get your drivers on TV yeah. and stuff massive massive thing there that they could be using and it's just you just don't see it in formula one but again is is it that actually the the betting companies aren't coming to formula one well that's what i'm asking that's i don't know the answer i don't i think i think it's a bit of both i think it's generally a bit of both uh both sides not coming to each other and kind of not realizing it's almost like one day they'll realize it and go oh yeah and next thing you know they'll all be sponsored by fucking bookies but it's a it's an odd one because I mean, they, the, the, this, the amount of money can't be that much different than what you pay to get on a football shirt. You, you think about it, right? You think about it. It's the Skybet Football League. It's the Ladbrokes World Darts Championship. It's the William Hill Snooker World Championship. <laughs> Why is it not 
the bet Fred Brits Grand Prix. Like, it just we're bet, like... we're bet Fred in each uh, race around the world saying, I do this for fun, but this is what I'm going to put my odds on. Here's, here's, here's your race I winner. It's... Every single race of bet Fred would just, uh, Fred himself would actually hand the trophy over and say, there you go, son. <laughs> I want to... I'm waiting for the driver's press conferences where they say, and here's the winner of your uh, your race. It's Sebastian Vettel in the foxybingo.com Red Bull. Maybe it's the next step. Maybe I'm just ahead of the times. Maybe in the next couple of years we'll see that. Uh, I'm just waiting on one of the caterers to be sponsored by Sheila's Wheels Insurance. <laughs> it's just a I shame. I think Pastor that... Maldonado's Lotus should be sponsored by Sheila. <laughs> it's a shame that... Uh... Like for, like fags, it'll probably end up getting banned, and uh, and this is the problem with twenty first century politics. You just it's putting sporting industries under a lot of pressure because as soon as they find something that brings money, like it ends up getting end up like snooker went through such a lull when they banned fag advertising because all their tournaments were sponsored by cigarette companies. So they went like five years before figuring out how to deal with it. They just they lost such revenue and. It'll be it'll be the same if they ban gambling advertising. So maybe F1 should strike while the iron's hot. It is certainly a a, a lucrative revenue that, that that they don't seem to be going down. Here's the thing: I think gambling, like the kind of bet sites, I think they'll stick around for quite a while. Yet it'll be more so the like the loaning companies that I think will be complete ban. Yeah, well, you, that's that's coming into sport as well now. Hearts are sponsored by Wonga, and the most ironic thing I've ever seen in my life. So, uh, and then we had the thing with uh, Papa Cisin with Newcastle. How he, re- he initially refused to wear the Newcastle shirt as Wonga. That'll be the next one. That like that that you'll probably see more and more of that. But the thing with that is, that's much more of a shady industry than sort of standard gambling is. Like they're 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 the that industry in general is under an awful lot of pressure at the moment just for existing. They're they're coming up with a lot of laws to regulate that because of the dodgy oh, yeah. practices that they get up to. So Whereas I think that, of course one, the betting sites it's a bit more regulated, which I why I well, don't think they'll probably get rid of it soon. It's extremely regulated. So that's well that's they've got that in its favour. Whereas you might have seen an increase in the loan guys in sponsorship in sport but almost they've shot it down before it's even got off the ground kind of thing. So we probably won't see that because they've jumped on it so quickly. And and to be fair, rightly so, because they do they are dodgy as fuck. Uh, <laughs> just I just I, I've I've got this little bee in my head now where I'm like, yeah, it's kinda just popped into my brain. It's like, yeah, why aren't Formula One teams taking advantage of gambling advertising? And now now I'm just like I feel like going. I want to phone one of them and just be like, "Do you realise you do this, <laughs> like, Mr. Sauber?" I'm just wondering. Have you? Yeah. Have you? Ever, have you ever? Just, you know? just for my own peace of mind now. It's like just have you're, you contact. You're gonna go absolute tits when Pastor Maldonado becomes the first driver to be sponsored by a gambling website. <laughs> which which bookies do you work for, Sean? Ladbrokes. So it be yeah, Pastor Ladbrokes Maldonado. That would be. <laughs> It's just. Uh, would you quit? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't quit, but I'd be very disappointed. I'd <laughs> <laughs> have to release some sort of statement. Just like, we do, I do not, I do not condone this. 
the, um, the staff complaints procedure where it's like I've been mistreated at work like it's past Maldonado there's a fucking cardboard cutter right in front of me when I'm working <laughs> oh, oh god I'd love that so much I'd love that so much if you could go and go have Dean come in and take a photo with you stood next to Pastor Maldonado that would be amazing I would have, have the sour face where you would just want to rip my head off or even take my photo and just take a photo Part of my role at the moment is punting new offers, so we haven't. I would have to like get get boosted prices on Maldonado to win off the ground and things like that. I've just got visions of you wandering around the betting shop with this big past Maldonado car on your arm, going up to people, just going, "Hey, have you seen the odds on past Maldonado winning the next race? Uh, They're crash tacular." My idea of hell. But then you could say you get fair. You can if you offer me thirty quid right now, I can bash his fucking cardboard head in. That will bring joy to me and easy thirty quid. Speaking of past, speaking of past Maldonado, Sean, what are the odds of him winning the F1 World Championship with Vlad Brooks? Probably about five hundred to one, but I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I don't. I, the thing is, I never know Vlad Brooks' prices because I can't bet with him. So I'm, I'm more likely to know our competitors' prices. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. But, so. Um, so returning back to, sorry, I was going to say, uh, this is an example. We had uh, for the darts last month because we were the sponsors. We had uh, money back special, so we could easily do something like that. So it doesn't even need to be sponsored on the team. You could easily do the the Ladbrokes uh, British Grand Prix, and you could easily do a, a thing where it's like, oh, if Sebastian Vettel wins, we'll refund losing bets and stuff like that. And there's so much, there's such, there's so much wide uh, potential for. For money spinning ideas that you just don't seem it's just strange that they haven't taken advantage of it and i'm annoyed <laughs> money sh- back if money back if pastor maldonado actually doesn't hit a car do you know what's quite funny actually just when we're talking about odds there daniel ricardo is a shorter price to win the title next year than nico rosberg and jensen button wow that's weird that is genuinely weird Pastor Maldonado is brutally short. I consider it brutally short. He's 80 to 1. I would have had him about 10 times that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and weirdly enough, Paul DeResta is still in the betting. Everybody can even have a drive. Nice. Paul DeResta is still a shorter price than the Marussia drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. So probably to, probably to round up the, the, the concept of... Um, Finances in F1 is is the tricky subject that uh, has divided us all at times, uh, and that's pay drivers. Um, having waffled on about Pastor Donado in, in a Lotus, <laughs> um, going back to what you know, Dean mentioned uh, that Eddie Jordan had said several years ago. It it took twenty to thirty million pounds a season just to get your car turned up, let alone any development or any of the other bits and pieces. If Maldonado brings you $20 million, then, you know, that's $20 million that you you could now spend on your research and development. And it it, it quickly becomes very easy to see why anybody who can offer you money and is of any vague talent suddenly becomes, you know, a much more appetising prospect than a very good promising driver who you know, has driven up through the ranks and has, you know, crawled his way to the top without any help um, and any, you know, national sponsorship or whatever. Um, 
are paid drivers a scourge of the sport or is it just the price that we pay for the sport that we we enjoy watching I think it's more so the price of the uh, teams for them wanting to be the best they can be. But if it takes 20 or 30 million to just turn up, regardless of wanting to be the best, 20 to 30 million pounds just to be able to wheel your car out onto the grid for the first race of the year. That's Not so much that, but kind of um, to have that kind of... Uh, how to word this right? It's like, you know, the, you pay it to get the results, to get the points. I imagine the positionings, you get money for your final positioning. That but you, do in, you do unless you're the last team in the standings at the end of the season, yeah. in which case you get fuck all at the moment. So that's practically more Russia than every year. Um, well, it was catering so this yeah. year as it goes. But... I cater, oh fuck. Tony Fernandez, haha. But um, it's a hard one because I still remember when Vettel was linked with Ferrari. Uh, I oh, I was, did, do you? There's a new one. <laughs> no, I mean... Was, I remember uh, when Etten Senna was in Pacific. No, what? No, it was linked with Ferrari. It was like talks of... Oh, like, linked with Ferrari. Linked. What a, Sebastian yeah, Vettel in a Ferrari. What's going on? Yeah, what alternative universe? He was linked, and then I was kind of like, there's no way he would go because Red Bull would offer a ton of money to stay because he's the guy that's got Red Bull practically on the world scale with F1. You and you associate Red Bull, you associate Sebastian Vettel. Um, and the thing about sponsorship, I wouldn't be surprised if they have... Okay, this is the budget that the company itself can spend and they use the sponsorship money they get to kind of spend it on uh, not just wages, but um, development. Well, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they try and twist the rules that way and say, well, technically, we we spent our budget, but we got this money, so... Well, that's that's don't... where they get their money, Dean. That, you do that... realise I'm not an F1 kind of fanatic. No, I know, that. but I'm just... <laughs> I, I'm not sure what other revenue stream you were assuming the teams... You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, there's merchandise and all the other bits and pieces, but the main way that a, a Formula One team finances itself... You're talking itself... about just... I think you're not talking about the well, driver sponsorship, not, not, yeah, driver sponsorship, not livery sponsorship. Yeah, driver sponsorship. Because but there's no way in hell I imagine passing on the Lotus for the entire kind of budget. Well, um, yeah, I mean that's that's what they're doing. I mean, it would be, I, I think I've missed your point, Dean, because otherwise I'm I'm not sure what you're assuming what's, that Lotus are going to do with their twenty million dollars from, from Venezuelan oil this year. Um, the car getting sponsorship with the car itself, but actually driver sponsorship. But it's it's all the same thing, though, isn't it? If the driver comes in with sponsorship, he gives that money to the team. In the, in the same way that if, you know... Um... It's a complex issue because it's like... I don't imagine the Malosha or the Kerams paying that much money wage-wise for the drivers. And then well, you do have... Like That's the end of the point, I think. They don't pay and any wages. Vettel's just... Vettel, I don't know what Vettel wage will be. It'll be an insane amount of money. Because you're bound to be on a contract where when it's this much races, you get X amount. When it's the title, you'll get X amount. Yeah, when it's it, by when it's a constructors yeah. X amount. He has on a good deal, Vettel, no doubt about it, but it's not as much as uh, Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso. Or Kimi Räikkönen, I don't think. think all three, right, all yeah. three of those all had higher. I'm not even sure if Jensen Button wasn't either higher or at least at nearly the same level. But Vettel, you know... They've, they've been able to say, well, you know, yeah, that's fine. You you go and drive for another team for more money. Um, see where that gets you. See where, see where they got Lewis Hamilton this season. <laughs> 
I think Vettel knows that he doesn't. Yeah, it's not worth him taking the risk of going to Ferrari for an extra ten million to then not win a title for five years or whatever. I think he's he, he's rather take he's he's happy to take a hit of a few million here and there on a salary to know he's in the best car, and you know that's fair enough. But just I don't know. I'm not really sure what Dean's point was, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know myself now. I just completely just so, like so you know we're saying that you know Pastor Maldonado brings twenty million into a team. Um, you you know that that's that that is the the amount of money that he's bringing to Lotus next season from his Venezuelan oil sponsors. Are they paying it in front wings? <laughs> oh, so there's that as well. But um, so that's twenty million that the team don't have to find from their own sponsorship, um, from or- selling merchandise or any you know, getting in prize winnings from winning races or turning up and getting somewhere in races. Uh, that's automatically money in the bank just because they've got somebody as a driver um and the problem that a lot of people have doing with the with with that concept is that you get somebody like pastor maldonado who's <laughs> won one race and done not very much else getting a drive in the you know fourth best car a race winning car on a regular basis a potential title winning car when guys like paul deresta Nico Hulkenberg are all scratching around looking for drives when they're they're clearly better drivers than than that guy. So the problem comes is, you know, if if we could manage the finances well enough, then pay drivers wouldn't be so such an attractive prospect. Yeah, I'm not necessarily against pay drivers as such. I know, obviously, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have them, but we're not living in an ideal world as we've already discussed this evening. It's, it's far from ideal in terms of money. But it's when it starts getting up to teams like Lotus that it becomes a real issue. I don't mind Marussia and Caterham doing it as such because, you know, they're new. They clearly don't have as much resources in that. But when there's when there's teams like Lotus who, like you say, are race-winning cars needing to do this kind of thing, that's when something needs Something's to... Something's going wrong. Yeah and, yeah, and you need to sort of take a, a much sort of deeper look at it. It's the reliance on them, I think, that is the yeah, and it's the kick in the teeth. Know, I mean, it, 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 basically, what I'm essentially saying and is, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't mind if the crap guys, the crap teams have the crap drivers. It doesn't sound. <laughs> I'm basically saying I want the good teams and the good drivers, and the crap guys and the crap drivers, and that doesn't sound very fair. But at the end of the day, as a spectator, that's what you'd be happier to see. I mean, it's it's not a new phenomenon yeah. in in Formula One, and I think that's I think, I think that's it. I think we're just accustomed to likes of Minardi having crap drivers. And well, things. everybody remembers Alex Young. It's almost it's almost a part of the sport. It's almost like, oh, who are they going to put in the car this year? It's like that's but it, almost it really part was, of the isn't fun. It? Seeing the seeing the jobbers at the back of the grid is almost part of the fun, but. It's like we don't want them mixing with the top guys, though. That's when you start. To, it's, it's like almost a very elitist attitude, but like. But in uh, a way, that's the way it should work, shouldn't it? It should be that at the back of the grid, it's you know rookies and and not the best, mm-hmm. and then you, you know you, fil- you, get it. you, you get filter your way up, don't you? You get the the drive with a Sauber or a Force India, and then that allows you to 
you know, show off your talents and go from there. In the way that, you know, the Kimi, Massa, Button, Weber, Alonso, that's how all of these great drivers got there. You know, yeah, it's like a, it's like a fight card. You've got your you've got your jobbers at the bottom, and then you've got your mid carders, and then you've got your main eventers. And I'm okay with that, and I'm happy with Formula One to be in that position, as long as it stays like that. And it's when, like I say, when we start having an issue where the top teams can't afford things, that's that's when you need to take a look at it. And I'm not. That's why the Lotus Maldonado one sat so uneasy with me because they shouldn't be in that position and why are they in that position and it's almost concerning as a fan that a team like Lotus were in that position and it that sort of brings us full circle back to the whole finance debate of well what do we do to sort it so are we you know to kind of get us to a a final point so to speak are we pretty much all agreeing that um there's tweaks we can make to Formula One, but we, oh, yeah. it, it's a problem we can't solve. Spending money and Formula One are just destined to be intertwined. Formula it's, One is a money pit. Yeah, it's it's it costs. It's an expensive thing to do. And but it, yeah, for the foreseeable future, I agree. Unless they do like kind of changes to where okay, well, you can get rid of such things and developments and research. It's a. It's always going to be one of those sports where you need to spend so much money to actually get a decent enough car and to to stay stick around for a very long time as well. If you think about it. Unfortunately, that just is the way F1 is. This is just a fact. It's always been that way. It is. You need money to be able to develop and to run and things like that. And it's not like football where you can just go down the park on a Saturday and play with three mates. It's, it's uh, that's the nature of the sport. So, and and I think most fans of that of the sport have kind of made their peace with that. They just want it to stay as it has been and not get any worse. Uh, that's essentially what I think I'm concluding here. As long as it doesn't get any worse, I'll be okay. <laughs> I don't necessarily need for it to drastically improve. I just need it to not get any worse, which is as long as Barney doesn't do his fucking stupid rules like uh, extra points. Like, in the like last sense, so there, is, there is things that can be done. There is a few points that we've made that can, that will help. But on the whole, it's just it is an expensive sport, and I can't think that it's ever going to realistically change. We're never going to get every team spending 30 to 40 million because then you just end up with... like You don't have teams like Ferrari and Red Bull. You end up with a, a formula full of like A1 JP, similar spec cars, anybody winning the race and stuff like that. I like that it's main event, mid-card jobbers in a sort of list. But, you know, the, the it's it's protecting the jobbers, isn't it? In a way. Yeah, it's it's um it's only it's only fun to watch um John Cena versus um CM Punk every week as long as you've got the occasional um Zack Ryder um yeah. <laughs> Brodus Clay coming along to um Break things up. Break things up so it's not quite. Uh... You're right. 
And that's what I go back to some of the points you've made, some of the points I liked, such as the increased testing for lower down teams and the draft style thing from the NFL and possibly reducing aero to lower costs and stuff. So I think there's lots of little things that you could do that would just even out enough. And then uh, that would be okay without having to go fully fully fledged into a cost cap because as we discovered right at the start that's just going to be such a logistical nightmare to enforce so i think there's i think that it's more ideal to just do small little changes rather than one big wholesale across the board blanket rule that's the sort of direction i would be looking to go in anyway but what do i know <laughs> <laughs> well what do any of us know indeed so, um, on that slightly uh, ambiguous point, um, we do like to come to try come to a point at the end of our discussions, but a bit of a meaty topic to try and get done in. Uh... Well, when I was doing my notes for this show, I just it was it was complete ambiguous. I was just like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Like, I think that's just the nature of the the, the topic tonight. There is no there is no solution that's clearly written on in stone for everybody to look up there's no manual on how to do this otherwise it would already be done yeah one of those ones where it's going to be probably five to ten years down the road and if and if the powers that be at the fia etc are struggling then you know we're going to struggle as well it's not it's not an easy one not an easy one at all no well i think that brings us nicely to the end of this week's podcast um We've had a fair stab at it. <laughs> we tried our best, folks. We tried our best. Um, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and listening to us. It's very much appreciated that you uh, spend your time listening to us waffle on uh, about Formula One and uh, all its uh, ups and downs and ins and outs. I think um, waffle's a good choice of word this week. Just <laughs> <laughs> running around the houses a little bit this week. Um, Brains in a mess after discussing something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um as a podcast, uh, you'll find us at modernfanatical.co.uk. You can check out all of the episodes. They're posted there every week as soon as they come out. Uh, you'll find us on Facebook at The Final Lap Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Final Lap Podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, The Final Lap Podcast. Uh, not to be confused with the, the Final Lap Podcast Weekly, which is a NASCAR podcast. What the fuck are you doing? There is another final lap podcast, but they—they're a weekly podcast about NASCAR. Who, who even cares? See, when I tried to type this in and subscribe this on my iPhone, I was like, "Wait, this can't be right. Uh, this can't be right. NASCAR, really? NASCAR? <laughs> yeah, that podcast rather goes around in circles. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and that's why I'm the host, folks. <laughs> um, uh, and indeed, I am the host. My name is Andrew Pearson. You can catch me on Twitter at man called Megs. I have my colleague Sean Gray. I am uh, at Twitter at tw underscore magic. And we have our favourite guest, Dean Glass, who can be caught on Twitter at. You mean your only guest, and of course that's uh, uh, tw underscore fury. I might change my Twitter handle soon, so I'll be sure to update you all on that. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Breaking news. Sean Gray to change Twitter handle. Get on the yellow bar on Sky Sports. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for tuning in, folks. I hope you've enjoyed it, uh, listening to us, and uh, enjoyed taking in what we've got to say. So uh, thanks for taking... Uh, 
let me let me redo this. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye bye. Happens to us all, Mags. It's okay. Just take care and spike that hair of yours. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, whatever, dude. Thank you. See you later, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> what a gr- what a great professional way to end the podcast. Thanks, Perfect guys. See you later. Bye. See you. Bye. <laughs> that was genius. Uh, <sighs> I love having Dean on it. insert sting here as i will do uh <laughs> as again we are off season uh there's not a lot of news um since is that dean that, that is dean <laughs> i'm sorry Meg. i was trying really hard not to actually make it visible that i was laughing something <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll edit this bit out and put it in at the end bit, so we'll I'll go back into it, but that was just... I can hear, if I can hear it again, it's probably going to sound like my fucking kitten snoring. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you sound like, I don't know, what, what, a fucking squirrel or something. <laughs> That's going to be my F1 nickname if I ever get into squirrel. F1. Flying squirrel. Excellent. On top of the glass ceiling. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so getting back into this <laughs>